0: Hello and welcome to the Road Monkey podcast and our 50th show. Thank you for everyone for being on the journey with us so far, where we've shared more than 50 hours of content since the show launched in 2020. Our show is here to share stories that inspire people, give everyone insights into the different paths that there are through life, and not to see adversity as a roadblock, but simply a hurdle that can be overcome. So for our 50th show... I'm so excited to be speaking to Andrew Mullen. He's a Paralympic star with two Paralympic medals to his name, contributing to his tally of 21 international medals that he's collected so far on his journey. But today's conversation isn't defined by medals or even by sport. Andy is a hugely inspirational person whose story is captivating from the off. And we're not going to say much more than that as we really want you to hear it firsthand. So without further ado, a huge welcome to Andrew Mullen for our 50th episode of the road Monkey podcast, Shining a Light on Paralympic Sport, a conversation with Andrew Mullen. Hello, Andrew, and welcome to the show. How are you?
1: I'm very well, thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me
0: on. Uh, thanks for sharing some time with us. I've given our listeners and viewers a bit of an insight into to you and your story, but I'm really excited to kind of delve down into it in a lot more depth today so just give us a quick introduction as to kind of who you are and what you do.
1: Yeah so I'm Andrew Mullin, I'm a para swimmer based in Glasgow training um, training with Ian Wright in the City Performance Glasgow Elite Performance Squad. Um, I've been a para swimmer since about 2010, 2011. I think 2011 was my first senior appearance on the GB team and I've been to pretty much every major since then bar maybe one where I took like a slight break from swimming. So yeah, have been on the Senior Power Summer for the past 10 years. Hopefully we compete in, we'll compete Well, be competing in my third Paralympic Games um, this
0: summer. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, we're obviously excited to see you race this summer and we'll come on to some of that a bit later on. But I'm curious to go back to the beginning. How did this all start? And, and you know, most people, I guess, when they're at school, that, you know, what you've probably done over the last decade probably wasn't on your list of to do. So at what point did you suddenly actually go, oh, this is something that I could do for the rest of my life.
1: You know, it was kind of somewhat of a, a pretty standard origin story, I guess. I, I originally started swimming because my mum wanted all of her children to just to be safe in the water when we went on holidays, or etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and I think straight from the start, I kind of fell in love with the water and I, I enjoyed being in it. I was kind of being a youngster with like a disability. It was very freeing um, and it was the first kind of, field that I was really able to compete in, um, in a somewhat equal field, um, so I really loved the kind of
0: competitive
1: nature of it, um, but I don't really think it was until maybe 2011 or, or, or 2012 when I really realised that, you know, like maybe I could be pretty good at this. Um, I kind of had a pretty sharp rise uh, in those years. I went from being kind of like an okay swimmer to, you know, actually challenging to, to make some teams, so I think it was once I kind of started qualifying for, for the British programmes uh, and, and, and some of the larger swim meets that I kind of thought, you know, like, maybe this could be for me.
0: How old were you when you went to your first Paralympics? I was 15 in London, I think. Yeah, 15. <laughs> so just talk 12. us through that, because, you know, I, I, I went as a spectator, and it was, as, a, as an adult who was immersed in the sport, it was something unbelievable to see. So just talk us through that experience, because as a 15-year-old, that must have been just mind-blowing.
1: Yeah. You know, London's a, London's a funny experience. So when I look back on it now, my, my memories of it are, are pretty blurred. I think in the moment, I was so immersed in the actual competition itself. I almost didn't really take much time to reflect on the kind of magnitude of the event as a whole. Um, I was just so obsessed with swimming fast and trying to, and trying to win medals um, back when I was 15 years old. Um but no, definitely the super, super fond memories of that. I think London was both a kind of pretty pivotal turning point in my career and power swimming as a whole. I think power swimming as a movement has come on leaps and bounds since London. Um, and had London not been such a huge success, maybe I wouldn't be here still, you know. So super thankful to have the opportunity to, to race at those games. And it was kind of like a, yeah, kind of leapfrog my my career and and pushed me on.
0: Well, let's talk about, I guess, what happened next, because, you know, it, it sounds bizarre being in the sports world like we are, you know, London was nine years ago now, which just, it doesn't seem real, but you know, it's, I guess a lot of people see like these perhaps little cherry on top of the cake moments and think, well, that's it. But actually that is a huge amount of time, both leading up to that, but also since then to where you are now. So just talk us through a little bit, I guess, of some of your your highs of that experiences and that journey but also some of the, the challenges because you know I think too many people seem to think it's you know a straight line from A to B and you know we work in the world of sport and no it's anything but
1: yeah um you know for the first sort of I don't know from 2010 2011 when I started to really take something seriously up until about uh, up until 2016 in Rio Things were relatively plain sailing for me, which I was pretty thankful for. Like My progression was really, really linear. Um, I was looking at my charting my times the other day and I don't think there was a season where I didn't PV and thankfully I had no injuries. Um, so in, in terms of performance, things were, yeah, as I said, pretty smooth and, and plain sailing. I think the lows for me wasn't really until post-Rio. Um, I think I finished Rio, had a really successful game kind of smashed all of my targets and, and goals out of the water. I think I had an 80% best time percentage, which is obviously a pretty good going. Um, I won my first Paralympic medals. So it's kind of funny that the, probably the, the lowest point of my career was directly after one of the biggest highs. And I think that was kind of just down to the way that I was approaching swimming. I think I was very, very results orientated. And I was very, very focused on outcome goals, um, which in hindsight, I know is, well, in my opinion, is now pretty terrible. I think that's what leads to such like a huge low after after like a, a huge game like that. You know, I think for that four years into leading into Rio, I almost had the approach, right, I'm going to go there. If I win like a silver or gold medal, that'll be kind of my I made it moment. And I don't really think those should exist um because like once you've finished the once you've achieved this I made it moment at 19 years old like what else are you gonna do um so I think that my local point in sport was definitely driven by my belief system and I don't really think it was like aligned properly with with how it should have been I think now I've kind of made the switch to being like really values driven um I think just being driven by values is like a way more efficient use of time and i think kind of if if your goal for life is to be like the best version of yourself which i think is probably what most people's goal is so yeah like within like the finitude of your life you want to be the best version of yourself like values have to be at the core of that you have to like root yourself to these values as opposed to anchoring yourself to kind of like tangible but i guess somewhat like arbitrary goals like Who's to say that like a Paralympic gold medal makes you successful or some X time makes you successful? Like they're always in society, like a, like a Paralympic gold medal or an Olympic gold medal is, of course, like very, very well respected. And there's a lot of prestige attached to it. But like, at the end of the day, like if you're a kid and you decide, oh, I want to be a Paralympic champion, like it's somewhat like an arbitrary goal. Um, so I post Rio I had to kind of do a lot of reflection and sort of scrap this outcome way of thinking and and kind of rebuild this framework of values that I wanted to kind of base my life around um so I guess like there was a lot of merit from the from the low point post post Rio as well
0: well we'll explore I guess that values and philosophy stuff in a minute because I'm really curious to unpick that a little bit and I think It's really interesting what you've kind of alluded to there, because there's so many athletes that might commit to a goal, whatever it is. And they train week after week, month after month, year after year. They change their nutrition. They work on their sleeping pattern. They make social sacrifices within their friendship circles, maybe drop other sports, whatever it is. And just because they don't necessarily achieve that singular, like you say, arbitrary outcome. You know, I have looked back through quite a few results and there's some false in there. You know, and that doesn't mean that that race was a failure just because of all of that work and stuff that went into it didn't lead to what we perceived to be a successful outcome. Actually, you know, you've kind of seen it from both sides now. And I think it's really interesting that you kind of zoned in on that. So I guess going forwards from there, how did you actually find out? Not necessarily find out, but how did you actually get down on paper what your actual values were? What did that process look like to go from that outcome-focused to suddenly a process-focused mindset? I
1: took a long time away. The longest time I'd ever had away from swimming, Um, I didn't swim. I think after Rio, I didn't swim for probably for like five or six months, probably. Um, And then after that, I also, like the past four years is the most time I've ever had off of swimming, Um, even like even before COVID happened. Um, So I guess I just took like a lot of time away and spent some time reflecting and kind of dabbled in some other Like fields um, that was interested in, Um, but yeah, I think it's just it's important to have like good people around to speak to as well. I think one of the things that I identified as being really important is having like a so I call it like a really efficient feedback loop. So like have people's opinions who like you really respect, and hopefully, ideally, they would be like kind of experts in their field, and. And, and draw feedback from them, and absorb feedback from them, um, and, and be really, really selective about like what feedback you you, you absorb. Um, it kind of goes back to that like that paradox of choice. If you have all these different, like all this different feedback coming at you from all these different sources, um, it can kind of be hard to to identify which which kind of branches are are relevant, and are going to be like beneficial to you. Um, So I I think that was one thing I did was I spent a lot of time identifying who I wanted my go-to people to be and then kind of spoke to them and tried to reflect with them about myself like what areas do you think I need to improve on what do you think like defines me as a person Um, so I think it's definitely good to kind of get help with these sort of things because it's it's such a massive task to kind of undergo by yourself.
0: How does I guess because we've talked already quite a lot about sport how does all the wider stuff fit into that because you know unless you've lived this journey or you know you're a coach on deck or whatever it is and actually see it firsthand it's quite hard to explain to people from outside I guess the sphere of sport um and you know family form a huge part of that friends teachers you know when you're at school and all those other things so how did that all factor into this I guess finding a a a new version of yourself if you like or a new philosophy and how you approach yourself
1: yeah I I guess it was, for me, having friends and family that I could just kind of bounce ideas back and forth with was, was pretty massive. Um, it also gives you, like, a different perspective. Um, I think sometimes you can be kind of engrossed in this sport, which is kind of this, like, individual realm that's kind of, like, I guess, in, in a way, it's like a microcosm of life, but then in another, in another sense, it isn't. it's kind of this really, like, abstract field where unless you're really, really involved in it, like no one's going to really understand what it's like. Um, So I guess it was just kind of communicating with my friends and family about what I was struggling with um, and just like getting other people's perspectives from other walks of life. And I think that helped helped me massively. You know, like speaking to some of my friends who've like never had a background in sport and, and just, yeah, getting their opinions really helped.
0: Yeah, I find that that's it's quite a, a curious thing, isn't it? Because obviously people put sport in its own box. But actually, when you talk to people outside of sport, sometimes you get some really interesting opinions because they're not blinded, if you like, or uh, tunnel-visioned by perhaps the world that we we find ourselves in. What's, again, kind of a bit off the cuff here, but looking back, what was the best piece of advice you've been given since 2016 when you finished in Rio? Huh.
1: You know, I think it was, I was talking to one of my friends who is not involved in sport at all.
0: Like
1: never, never has been. And I was talking to him about the kind of almost identity crisis I was having. Like my goal was to to be a Paralympic champion. And I'd always kind of identified myself as I want to be a Paralympic champion. And that was always like a big part of like, part of my personality. And I was speaking to one of my friends who, as I said, never involved with sport. And he's like, Oh well, I guess there'll always be another chance, won't there? He's like, there'll always be another race. I was like, yeah, I mean, it's like it's like a good point. And he was like, it doesn't really matter if you win it, does it? And I was like, ah, I mean, I guess you're right, not really. <laughs> so I think that was when I started to kind of realize, like, oh, maybe these like outcome goals aren't the most like
0: efficient use of my time. I do um I do quite a lot of parent talks, and uh, one of the things that I always say because they'll always ask like, what's the one piece of advice you'd give to us as parents? And I say a young swimmer should be able to touch the wall and regardless of what comes up on the scoreboard, the response and support they get from their family and friends is unwavering. And I think that's one of the more fascinating parts of being an observer in the world of sport is you see a lot of athletes touch the wall and they either look at the scoreboard or they look at their parents and occasionally look at their coach. But you can tell where some people have got into that trap of who I am as a person is defined by what comes up on the scoreboard. And if it's a bad result, or it's not the result we'd hoped for, therefore I mustn't be a good person. And I think yeah. it's quite a revel- revelatory experience getting past that point to actually where you don't define your value as a human being against the scoreboard. Yeah, definitely. I totally agree. So I guess this, this where are we now? So Summer, so the last 18 months for you must have been, uh, you know, you've already said you had a huge chunk of time out post-Rio anyway, and then COVID come along. So what tools all the way back to kind of 2010, 2011, 2012, a few years to get you through the last 18 months?
1: Um, You know, I think my kind of personality type and the way I operate was actually very, very well suited for lockdown. Um, I kind of quite like a lot of time to myself, which is I've had plenty of. Um, um, I've also been super, super... uh, lucky that I, to be honest I've not had that much time out of the pool I, you know I had like sort of three months at the start um, but then ever since then I've, I've had pretty much full access I've to told the training that I needed so the past like 18 months haven't been for me as, uh, as like traumatic or as difficult um, as it could have been for for some others but I think in, in what should have been like a really really kind of disruptive time it's probably the best training I've done since Rio I think just because, as I said, I had the time away to kind of like reflect on what I wanted to do moving forward, and I think when you have swimming taken away from you three months for three months, and you don't really know when you're going to get going to get going to have it back, um, it kind of really like outlines like, oh, this is quite important for me, and I actually really enjoy swimming, and this is what I want to be doing currently. Um, so I think COVID was kind of like a blessing in disguise. Like motivation was definitely at an all-time high. Once I got back in um, and I think, yeah, for, for me, I think it was, yeah, as I said, a blessing in disguise.
0: I think it's um, <clears throat> it's a discussion I've had with quite a few coaches recently because off the back of a lot of different countries holding Olympic and Paralympic trials, you've seen some unbelievable performances coming across the boards and actually people are going, well, how? How's that possible? You know, they've had disruptive training, they've had this and they've had that. And I think a lot of people overlook the fact that you, you part of your trait of your personality is that you thrive in those difficult spaces that's what's got you to where you are and you you savor those huge like amazing moments where like even you said back in London where actually like you were so focused on the competitive side of it and all this has done for most people is get rid of all the noise because there's nothing else really going on and actually just you're hyper focused on what you're doing so it must be as we're kind of coming out of this in the lead up, it might be quite weird to kind of get used to normal life going on around you whilst you're kind of just head down focused on these last few months.
1: Yeah. I think there'll be both in the Olympic and Paralympics and uh, probably across all sports, there will be a portion of athletes that have kind of derived a massive edge over the past 18 months. Like it'll probably be pretty clear as to, who's handled themselves well over the past 18 months you know because if people have just kind of like i, I acknowledge there's like performance barriers in the way with lockdown and, and limited training and then just like immediately overcome that then like their training is just going to be it's going to be like probably massively like outperform how other people have been preparing and i think it'll be interesting to see if there's some some real like standard performances and um, i think it was quite interesting like watching the american olympic trials like last last week I think they just finished and they, the amount of teenagers that just like had unbelievable stand-up performances and it's probably because they just cracked on with it <laughs> like so they kind of know um so yeah i think there'll definitely be a kind of section of athletes that like really outperform the outperform the rest of the fields when it comes to when it comes to tokyo
0: I think um, one of the other coaches we've interviewed on this season, a guy called Dave Champion, and he talks extensively about it is what it is, you know, good or bad, just take it for what it is and move on and get on with it. Because ultimately, especially being athletes where you are quite orientated towards a specific uh, competition, whatever it is you're working towards, trials, times or making teams, actually anything you're not doing that's helping you towards that is just wasting time or wasting energy. And I think a lot of people, you know, Oh, this is outrageous. It's unfair. I can't do this. Well, I can't do that. Therefore, you know, and actually, like you say, there's that slither of people that have gone cool crack on, but yeah. you must've, you must've had that for, for quite a few years because surely at a young age, you know, to get into the, the performance world that you did very early on, you must've started, I guess, refining those performance behaviors as a, a young teenager effectively.
1: Yeah, I think I I probably like matured um, like a lot faster than a bunch of my competitors. Um, I think from a, one of my strengths as an athlete, I think from like a really young age, was like, I took like pretty much complete ownership over what I was doing and recognized that this is my performance. I have to own it, good or bad. Um, and that was also one of the things that really like attracted me to sport. Um, I like the kind of individual nature of it and, and being able to just completely own the good performances and then be like, oh yeah, wasn't my best when it when it, when it went pearly. Um, so yeah, I definitely started kind of developing these like performance traits, as you said, from like a really young age. Um, I think I was very, very, probably overly focused, like as a teenager. Um, maybe why I had a little bit of a burnout post-Rio. Um but that's the thing like in performance sport if you want to do really really well you have to become completely engrossed in the sport and I think a distinction has to be made by you can be completely engrossed in the sport and also not not allow the sport to like completely define your character that makes sense um which I think was like one mistake I made I was completely engrossed in the sport but it also took over all like my complete character as well um but hopefully now I've kind of got that balance better and I can become again completely engrossed in the sport but also more confident in, in me as a person
0: the sure. um one of the really good things for sport is obviously it does give you so many traits, skills and abilities that you take forward into the rest of your life. So, you know, looking back across, say, the last decade, what are kind of maybe the biggest three things that you think that's going to serve me well when eventually, a long time away, I hang up my goggles?
1: Um, I think I have, a, I, have, I have developed a pretty good work ethic. Um, I like to believe I'm pretty mentally robust. Um and I like to think I'm pretty consistent as well. I think they're probably like my top three traits. I think. I think one thing that's not really talked about in the sport enough is like trans or transferable skills. So if you excel in sport, the, the, the chances are like so excelling in sport, sorry, there'll be a lot of parallels between excelling in sport and then accelerating in other fields. So a way the way that I like to look at it is it's like I've picked sport as like as my field to kind of express my skill set. Like I could have picked another field, like academia or business or like whatever. Um, and then once sport is finished and is no longer in the equation, you still have this like refined skill set that's worth a lot. Um, I think that needs to kind of be spoken about, spoken about, spoken about a little bit more. Because I think a lot of athletes, when they finish sport, they're like, oh, like, what am I going to do? Like, now that this 10 years has finished or however long their career has been, it's like, well, it's not as if, like, that 10 years just being, like, a waste. Like, you've refined the skill set that so many other people won't have. Um, like, I, I'm trying to think of, like, another field in which, like, teenagers are really, like, put under, like, that much pressure. And there's probably not really one. So, like, these teenagers, these young, young people, young adults... Become so accustomed to dealing with pressure. It's just like they're so much better prepared for life after sport as well. This is why, I like a bunch of these, like finance organisations and big banks, love to employ ex-athletes because they know they've dealt with this pressure and they have this work ethic and this consistency. Essentially, this skill set that you need to have.
0: And there's um, there's a number of um. Companies in the city that do direct recruitment straight off, you know, the world class program, because, you know, half of the behaviors that they look for in their employees have been honed for a decade or more for some of the people that they recruit. And I guess, like, have you thought about that in terms of, as you we, we were talking before we started recording around, you know, looking at potentially in the, in the field of finance and stuff like that. But have you ever, as you're going through these kind of, I guess, like soul searching periods of time where you actually start looking at the bigger picture if you like thought about what the the future holds for you post swimming
1: yeah I'm obviously three quarters of away from. yeah I think I've got two or three semesters left of my finance degree much to my mum's dismay (laughs) I've kind of been putting that off for a while um I should probably go and go and finish that um but I guess long term I've not really really thought about kind of what career paths I want to kind of delve into. Um, Although one thing I am aware of now is that challenge is very important to me and I have to feel like I'm being challenged for me to feel like something's worthwhile. Um, So I guess if I was to go and and work in a field, I'd probably have to just do it for a while and see if it was challenging me. You know, I would hate to just be in an office kind of punching numbers and just getting by. I think that's one thing. One thing I love about sport is that it's a consistent challenge. And if you want to survive in it and you want to have any sort of like longevity, then you have to rise to the challenge and you have to develop your character. Like if you just kind of stagnate in sport, like what will happen is that like any inefficiencies of character or identity, like they'll be brought to the surface and they'll just eat you alive. Um, and that's, Yeah. That's why some people like just not don't make it, but maybe don't have as as long a career as as they wish to, because like these things just kind of eat them alive and they've not like risen to the challenge and like really addressed how they need to develop as a as a person. I think that's why I, I think the stuff that kind of like Michael Phelps did was so so impressive. Not just his his medal count, which is of course like astronomically good but like the longevity he had in his career like he did it all and then kept going it's like the mental like robustness and how much how like at one of himself he must have been to just like continuously did that i think it's like massively impressive
0: and i think that's interesting especially now he's kind of stepped out of the sport and again have more time to reflect even he talks about understanding of linking your character to some of those performance outcomes, because you know he's had some massive challenges along the way, and does thrive in challenge. But you know some of them have been extremely significant. So, do you think, in terms of like challenges going forwards, that's something that the actual challenge has what has allowed you to get to where you are now? And uh, do you think you'd have actually, if the, if it had been plain sailing the whole way through, do you think you'd have actually got to the levels that you you ended up and you are now, hopefully going to another games?
1: No, I, I definitely don't think so. I think challenges. Uh, it's definitely a stimulus for growth. Um, I think a life without challenge would be pretty pretty hollow. And if you aren't challenged, then there's no real incentive to growth because you can kind of just coast through. So um, I think that's also also a, a kind of good way to to deal with adversity is to view it as I mean it might be kind of cliche, but I can view it as a challenge and an opportunity to grow. But it is really true. It, you need these challenges to evolve and develop as a person. And like, if you didn't have it, you would just stagnate and no one really wants that.
0: I've said that to quite a few athletes, I guess, over the last 18 months, because I think as soon as this all happens, you know, the volume of people, regardless of what performance level they were at, actually just who worked in sport or trained in sport and working towards something, it was kind of like, well, everything's been postponed, but that means you can explore new ways of developing your, your physicality, your mentality, your nutrition, whatever it is, in a way that you'd have never had time to do before. And I think there's probably a lot of coaches and athletes out there that have actually discovered things about themselves, their training, their whole lifestyle, that they would have never had time to sit and pause because generally you you go to a Games, you have a month off, do a bit of holiday, see some family and friends, and then you're back into it. And then it's another four years. And there's no time to go, well, everything's stopped for 12 months. So actually for 12 months, let's just play around with this a little bit. And we can't necessarily do everything the way we'd like to have done it, but We might find some new stuff. And I think, yeah, there is that difference between the group of people who were complaining and stressing about it or when actually the others that just took it for what it was, an opportunity. And I think there'll be some uh, amazing results come this summer. Um, And I think a lot of that does come down to how they dealt with adversity, which is something, like you say, that sport can help with. Yeah,
1: definitely. I'm, like, super excited to watch watch how everyone goes in in Tokyo. I think there's going to be some pretty, like, fast... Some pretty fast. So obviously, massive, swimming fan. But yeah, I think there's going to be some pretty, probably, be great performances across the board and like a bunch of different sports. And and like you said, kind of breaking the breaking the cycle of just four years training month off. It's like just taking time to be like, maybe this isn't the best way to like go about things, or maybe we can try these other things. And I think beforehand, people weren't really not bold enough, but. They're just so used to like these systems and they work like you know like they're going to develop like obviously can't speak for other sports but in some of these like training systems like they work they're like they're known to work but just because they're known to work it doesn't mean they can't be improved upon so i think what you said like people have definitely become like more creative and i think that'll probably show
0: i want to ask I guess we had quite a philosophical discussion today I want to cast your mind back now knowing everything you know now and everything you've experienced both in sport and in wider life what would you say to the little kid that was going into the pool for the first time and giving them a piece of advice as to what was coming next
1: well it's a tough question I think I would say I don't know if I, if I can really understand it but just Really commit to investing in yourself long-term. I think that if you heavily invest in yourself as a person and not just an athlete, sport will become much easier and you're going to have much more longevity. Um, I think also kind of just identify why you want to do this, why you want to do this, you know. If you solve for why, the how is easy.
0: That's what I would say. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, that's a, a really nice way to pull it all together. We're all excited to see you race this summer, and the, you know there's going to be people rooting for you from all around the world. But for now, thank you very much for sharing some time with us. Oh, well,
1: thank you for having me, Kevin. It's been a pleasure.
0: Well, what a conversation with Andrew that was. A super humble guy, and we're really happy to share that right now. He's actually in Tokyo in the midst of his second Paralympics, and we wish him the best of luck. Quite a few of our shows coming up are speaking to international swimmers and coaches, but our conversations stretch far beyond the water. Next week, we speak to Olympic medalist, double world champion, coach, tutor, and most importantly, parent, as we're in conversation with Kerry ann Payne. Again, thank you to everyone for sharing this 50th episode with us, as it's a pretty cool milestone for us to reach, as we've now got 10,000 listeners across more than 60 countries around the world joining us. Have a great week and thanks again for joining us for the Road Monkey podcast.